As you have your Bibles, I want to also encourage you not just to turn to uh, Psalm 5, but also go ahead and make your way to Deuteronomy chapter 30. So Psalm 5, and then hold your place, and then find Deuteronomy chapter 30. And so as you do that, as you get prepared, uh, let me just start off with uh, a little bit of walking back through history. Going back to August 6th and August 9th of 1945. Those two days brought a harsh new reality into our world. Since August 6th and 9th of 1945, our world has lived in a consistent and constant fear of nuclear disaster. The most dangerous weapon known to humanity is far less complicated and complex than that of a nuclear warhead. In fact, this weapon has damaged more people than the 220,000 individuals that lost their lives in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Japan. What is the weapon? It's our words. You see, with our words, sinful and self-centered people consistently say things that ruthlessly destroy the lives of other people. Today, Psalm 5 is going to help us to discover just what to do when we are lied about and slandered. Psalm 5 is is another individual lament. It is also the first instance of a psalm that includes a prayer for the personal downfall and destruction of enemies. So this uniquely places this psalm as not just a psalm of lament, but it's also an an imprecatory psalm or a cursing psalm. In this psalm, David gives us three valuable instructions to encourage our daily fellowship and walk with our Lord. Begins with the first one is to start your day prepared and trusting in God. Be prepared and trust in Him. I want you to imagine if you were to receive an invitation to to meet the most, uh, I don't know, your favorite politician, celebrity, uh, well-known pastor, or whoever that person is. If you were to say, if you received a personal invite uh, to go into the White House to to have an audience with the, the President of the United States, I would imagine... At least I would hope that you would take that with great seriousness and that you would be prepared upon that engagement. And so uh, I think it's important for us to understand that, that we have an opportunity to start each and every day of our lives with an audience with the Lord. And we must be prepared for that moment. See, David starts his morning with an intentional time of prayer with the Lord. Because David knew the source of his strength. He knew that his strength would come from his king. And so David went before the Lord and he admitted his inward pain. He doesn't hold back. He doesn't mask it or deny it. No, he admits his Uh, inner pain, and he cries out to God for help. Look at verses 1-3. through It says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. 
which is interesting because what this is showing us is that we speak and God hears. His ear is inclined to us. In other words, when we speak, we're not speaking into space. No, we're speaking into the ear of the Lord. And so he says, Heed the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. And so instead of rushing to defend himself throughout his kingdom or, or rushing to attack his, his enemies directly, now David's going to call upon the Lord to deliver him from a very critical situation. David ultimately realizes that he was powerless to stop the, the vicious lies of his enemies. And so, David, in turn, takes his side of the story to the one person who can help. He takes it to the Lord. David appeals to God on the basis of his faithful obedience to his Master. The Lord was his King. He says, my King and my God. So, so David sought the Lord's attention. He sought God's assistance because he believed in the promise that was revealed to him in God's law. That's why I asked you to turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 30. So that you could see the promise that David is building his prayer upon. The promise is that the Lord will help those who are faithful and obedient to His commands. I want you to listen and follow along as I read the words of Moses that was given to the people of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 30, beginning in verse number 15. It says, See, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, and to keep His commandments and His statutes and His judgments that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. So God's blessings are connected to being faithful and obedient and walking in His commandments. Verse 17 says, But if your hearts turn away, and you will not obey, but are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today, that you shall surely perish. You will not prolong your days in the land where you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess it. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that have set before you life and death. The blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying His voice, and by holding fast to Him. For this is your life and the length of your days, that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. Choose life. That you may live. And how do we choose life? By loving the Lord, obeying His voice, holding fast to Him. 
And so back to Psalm 5. David's going to point out in verse number 6 that God ultimately destroys the, the liars and the deceivers. But in contrast, David lived a life of submission to God. He, he, he lived his life trying to be obedient to God's commands. It does not mean that David walked in perfect obedience, because he didn't. But, but his heart was inclined to please and honor his father. And so in the midst of the uprising that was forming against him, David was focused only on obedience and submission to God. Instead of directing his frustration towards his enemies, no, he, he takes them and he pours them out to the Lord. The slandered king refused to retaliate and return evil for evil. Rather, he humbly submitted himself to God and he placed the situation into his hands. Which is a beautiful thought for us to consider. Because if we engage and if we fight back against the people that lie about us, we run the risk of sinking to their level. It is best, it is always best to turn the matter over to God, just as David did. Turn the matter to God and continue to love Him, submit to Him, serve Him, and obey His commands. And as we focus on doing what is right, then we can take the time to allow the light to expose the truth. So we should start our lives, our days, our mornings prepared, trusting in God. Number two is that we should seek to please the Lord. See, God takes no pleasure in wickedness. God is not neutral about sin. Therefore, the rebellious and the unrighteous cannot enter into the presence of God. The glorious truth of God's love does not change the fact that God hates sin and punishes sinners. Continue in verse number 4. It says, For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. You destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. And so here, David appeals to, to God's righteous character as the basis of, of him giving attention to David's personal request. And so he, he, he identifies five facts of God's holiness that his enemies were violating. And I'll go through those very fast. Fact number one, God takes no pleasure in wickedness. That's verse four. He takes no pleasure in wickedness. And number two, he rejects the evil. In other words, he does not allow the evildoers to live and dwell in his presence. God rejects the evil. Not only that, number three, God hates, God hates the evildoers. We must understand that God's heartfelt emotion towards sinners is love. 
And the love was, was demonstrated in the sacrifice of His only begotten Son at the cross. So Jesus laid down His life in love for sinners. But hatred, hatred is the response of God's righteous character towards sin. Hatred is the response of His holy nature against those that resist Him. And so Scripture teaches us that God hates all evildoers. Number four, He destroys the liars. Number five, He abhors the deceitful. God hates murderers and liars. In fact, He ultimately will destroy them if they fail to turn to Him and trust in Jesus. Here's the thing. The Lord expects those who love Him to love what He loves and to hate what He hates. Why? Because evil is a terrible force in our world. Sin and evil, it it wrecks lives. It captures people for hell. So you got to understand that God's hatred for evil is not an emotional thing. No, God's hatred for evil is judicial. It's His perfect judgment. It's an expression of His holiness. So we have to consider this. We have to be very careful on how we present the full nature of God. In our efforts to share the love of God with sinners... We need to be careful not to diminish God's attributes of holiness and righteousness. That includes both the love of God and the wrath of God. See, God extends His love for those that repent and receive Christ as their Lord. But God extends His wrath to those that don't. A little over a hundred years ago, Our Southern Baptist Convention was led by a man by the name of J.B. Gambrell. J.B. Gambrell, not only did he serve as as the president for the Southern Baptist Convention, he was also at one time an editor uh, for the Baptist Standard, and he was a professor at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. It was a little over 120 years ago. The year was 1902. 1902. J.B. Gambrell, along with 13 others or 12 other uh, individuals, pastors, theologians, they compiled a book that was called Baptist Principles Reset. And so it's a compilation of writings uh, from all these different pastors and theologians. J.B. Gambrell wrote a particular section of that book in which he talked about the obligations of of Baptists to teach their principles. In his section, he makes this statement. He says, God honors the preaching that honors Him. There is entirely too much milksop preaching nowadays. Milksop. How many of you have been since you've heard of that term? Anyone have no idea what milksop actually means? Oh, everybody in here knows what milksop means? Yeah, I don't believe you. I'm going to help you out, though. Milksop preaching means weak or cowardly. Okay, So he says there is entirely too much weak or cowardly preaching nowadays. J. 
trying to cajole sinners to enter a truce with their Maker. He goes on to say, let us bring heavy artillery and thunder away at the stuck-up age as Whitfield, Edwards, Spurgeon, and Paul did. And there will be many slain in the Lord, raised up to walk in newness of life. Let's not be afraid to preach and proclaim the full truth of God's Word. God honors the preaching that honors Him. So let us be honorable by sharing the full counsel of God's Word. This is the message that the world needs to hear. That that God, through His boundless love for sinners, has made it possible for sinners to be saved from the wrath that His righteousness and holiness demand. God has done His part. What will we do in response to what He has done for us? In order for us to be delivered from the wrath of God, we must repent from our sin and receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. If you don't repent and believe in Christ, you will suffer. You will suffer death. Eternal death. We'll all face death. A physical death. But those that refuse to receive Christ will not only suffer a physical death, but a spiritual death as well. That spiritual death results in an eternal separation from God in the place called hell. Scripture teaches us in Romans chapter 6, verse number 23, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So as we walk through Psalm 5, we understand that the background to this psalm is David is under great distress and turmoil. We're not exactly sure the historical context of when this actual psalm was written. What we know from the psalm is his enemies are saying some very harsh, untruthful, slanderous things about their king. So what we learn from it is that we are to submit ourselves to the Lord and trust in Him. We, 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 we turn the matter over to God while still seeking to please the Lord. And then we fully submit to the Lord. Look at verse number 7. Verse number 7 says, But as for me, by your abundant loving kindness, I will enter your house. At your holy temple, I will bow in reverence for you. David's already declared the fact that he was faithful in worshiping the Lord daily back in verse number 3. But here he makes a renewed commitment to remain faithful in worship and in prayer. I think sometimes we forget just how precious it is for us to be able to enter into worship of God. How precious and valuable it is to worship and to pray unto God. The worship of God, either corporately as we're all together, or privately and personally, 
It is not a time for thoughtlessness, for apathy, carelessness, or flippancy. No, the ability to enter into the presence of God for worship and for prayer is extremely valuable and precious. That ability God granted unto us cost His Son His life. It is only through Jesus that we have the privilege to enter into the presence of God for worship and for prayer. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 and 20 says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which He inaugurated for us through the veil that is His flesh. So it is a privilege to enter into the presence of God for worship and for prayer. And to treat this privilege lightly or casually is to cheapen the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And David was facing tremendous opposition And as he encountered those vicious words from his enemies, he turned and and he prayed and and he trusted the matter into God. He turned to God for his victory. At the same time, David is fully aware that God may choose not to deliver him, not to rescue him. God might have a different plan and purpose for his life. And you see, that's the kind of faith that we all need. When, when God, according to His own purpose, chooses not to deliver us from the vicious words of our enemies, will you still trust in Him? Will you still acknowledge that He is sovereign in and through and all? Oh, cry out to Him. Lay it before the cross. Give it to Him. But trust Him enough to leave it with Him. We must trust Him. We must glory in the strength that He gives us to endure the trials that He sets before us. We see this beautifully in the life of the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7-9, through 9, he writes these words. He says, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason... To keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. Three times He begged God to take this thorn of the flesh away and remove it from His life. Verse 9 says in, He has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Like the Apostle Paul, David realized that that God could allow his defeat. But he passionately prayed for God to deliver him Not just for himself, but to deliver him and his faithful followers. David prays for three things as he wraps up this psalm. First of all, 
He prays for God's guidance, which is great advice for all of us. When facing overwhelming troubles, when facing major decisions that always have to be made, David knew this, that he feared making the wrong decision. And so rightfully, he turns to God, seeking God to lead and direct him in the proper decision to be made. He says in verse number 8, O Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my foes. Make your way straight before me. There's nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. And and David's crying out to God, saying, God, help me, lead me, guide me, direct me. Let me know what way I'm supposed to go. And so he prays for God's guidance, and then he prays for God's justice in verse number 10. Verse number 10, David calls upon God to reveal the truth, to expose the lies, and that God might declare his enemies as guilty. Verse 10 says, Hold them guilty, O God. By their own devices, let them fall. And the multitude of their transgressions thrust them out, for they are rebellious against you. So he's praying for guidance. He prays for justice. And then I want you to notice how, how David prays for God's protection and his blessings. So David concludes his prayer by interceding on behalf of the faithful followers. Verse 11 says, But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. and May you shelter them. For those who love your name may exult in you. For it is you who blesses the righteous man, O Lord. You surround him with favor as with a shield. So David asked for three things for his followers. That they would rejoice in the Lord. That, that they would sing for joy because the Lord has personally risen to their defense. So that they would rejoice. That they would sing for joy. That, that their, their joy would be not in their victory, but in their God. I want you to notice his confidence in his prayer. Oh, he was certain that God uh, would, would be true to his character. He, would sh- he was sure that the Lord would bless those who are faithful to him. David knew that the Lord's favor would cover them like a shield. Remember back just a few Psalms in Psalm 3. We learned that there's two types of shields. In Psalm 3, we talked about the small handheld shield. The one that would absorb the blows that was intended for an individual. But here, uh, the type of shield that's uh, being mentioned is not the small handheld shield. It is the large rectangular shield. The one in which the warriors would crouch behind for protection. It would protect their entire bodies. So, So David was confident that the Lord would surround them, that the Lord would protect them from their enemies. His confidence was not in himself. It was completely in his God, his king. 
is Lord. Let me ask you something. Do you have the same confidence that God will do for you like he has done for David? That he is your shield? That through Christ, yeah, he'll be that small handheld shield that will absorb the blows that were intended for you? And he'll be that large rectangular shield to hide behind for protection because of his great love. And his response to those who repent and receive him as Lord and Savior. This morning we have an opportunity to be honest. Be true. To be real about who we are. To assess our lives and to examine our hearts. Now is is the perfect time God has blessed us with. To be honest and examining our faithfulness to the Lord. Are we faithful to His Word? His commands? Are we being faithful in pursuit of His will for our lives? If there are any unfaithful areas in our lives, any part of our lives, then we must confess it and repent from it. And be sure that, to know that your life is, a, is one that, that God can bless. right? So we don't walk in sin we don't walk in rebellion. We walk in His love according to His Word, seeking to be obedient to His commands. Because that's the type of life that God can bless. So often, we expect God to bless us in the midst of our sin. An example... God, we know that God's Word calls us to a purity of marriage. And yet, there are those that will get frustrated with God and struggle and realize that, God, why aren't you blessing my relationship with whoever, their significant other? But yet, your frustration with the lack of blessing in that relationship is twisted. Because if you're not entered into a marriage covenant with that individual, and you're just living together, why would God bless that sin? He doesn't won't can't because that violates his character and his nature God's word calls us to live a, a certain way and we must walk in faithful obedience to what he calls us to do and how he calls us to live that's just one example right but if we don't a frustration need not to be with our God it ought to be Within us, because we're choosing our personal preference, our will, over the will of the Father. As we come to a, a close, I want to wrap it up with a, a few quotes from some amazing men of God. I think they, they captured these uh, truths from Psalm 5 very beautifully. Uh, one quote is a quote that you've heard before. Uh, the other one is a new one. 
So I'll start with the new one first. This one comes from J.C. Ryle. And he has uh, his, his daily readings. So it's a daily devotional that you could get. Just the other day, on November 22nd, in his daily readings, he makes this statement. He says that the servant of Christ must never be surprised if he has to drink of the same cup as his Lord. When he who was wholly harmless and undefiled was foully slandered, who can expect to escape? Nothing is too bad to be reported against a saint. Perfect innocence gives us no fence against enormous lying, slander, and misrepresentation. The most blameless character will not secure us against false tongues. We must bear the trial patiently. It's part of the cross of Christ. We must sit still, lean back on God's promises, and believe that in the long run, His truth will prevail. Now the second quote comes from Charles Spurgeon. I've shared it before, but it's such a beautiful one, I'll share it again. Spurgeon once said that the best way to deal with slander is to pray about it. God will either remove it or remove the sting from it. Our own attempts at clearing ourselves are usually failures. So be quiet and let your advocate plead your case. May you know that your victory may not come today. But in God's timing, those lying enemies will be fully exposed and completely defeated. So, trust in the Lord. Trust in Him. Rest in His presence. Continue to do good. And take comfort in knowing that it is often the passage of time that reveals the truth. Keep your head up. Keep moving forward in faith. Keep loving God. Keep serving Him. Keep being obedient to His Word and to His will. And you can trust. And in the end, it all work out for the glory of God. Let us pray. Holy Father, we thank You for Your loving kindness. We thank You that You are a shield about us. God, help us to walk in faithful obedience to You. In this moment, in this gathering, there are decisions and commitments that need to be made. There are sins that must be confessed and repented of. There are things that you have called us to do that we have stubbornly refused to engage with that help us to see how that is a sin. God, help us to have a great love for your word. Help us to to be prepared every day to walk in obedience to you. God, you are mighty, holy, You are worthy of nothing less than our full commitment and total obedience. We thank you for your love. 
Thank you for the great honor and privilege that we have to enter into your presence for worship and in prayer. God, help us to recognize that that privilege is only granted to us because of sacrifice of Jesus. And let us stop treating worship gatherings so casually and carelessly. And we not cheapen his sacrifice. But may we come prepared. Prepared to give you our best. To, to receive your word. And, and having a desire to rightly apply it to our lives. This song of response, Father. May you be pleased by, by what you see from us. Help us. In Christ in my prayer.